we are in a series called The Mission. Everybody say The Mission. Come on, you can say it again. Say The Mission. And, uh, and it really, uh, around this time, what we've done is we have connected some of the Christmas story with the mission of God for the planet and for us as Christians and believers. And we just, we're just doing a little small series on it. And uh, as we close out 2016, we wanted 2016 to point us towards 2017, the month of December, that is. And, uh, and, and so we called it The Mission. The reason why we call this little series The Mission is because we are a missional church. You say, what does that mean? Uh, that means that we don't just um, come to services and preach little messages and feed your kids goldfish. We're actually on a mission to make it hard to go to hell from Cedar Hill, Duncanville, DeSoto, Texas, United States, and the nations of the world. And so we, we're, that's what we are. We're missional. And then, of course, my role as a pastor um, is to equip you, according to Ephesians, to do the ministry, to do the things of God. And so as we point into 2017 from 2016, my goal with this series was two-part. Number one, that you would live as a missional individual, that you would wake up every morning with a mission from God. And uh, we talked about this last week when our mission finally coincides with his mission for our life. This is where there's reason for existence. You, said, you know, I told, uh, I told us last week, remember I reminded you, sex and drugs and racism, that's not the problem in the United States. The problem is that people don't have a reason. They don't have a mission. So when you don't have a reason for your existence, then you've got to go try things. You've got to try to figure out what life is all about. And, and I don't know who was the one that told us that the mission of life is to get educated, to get a good job, get a nice house, Get married, have some kids, finance all of their problems that they create in your life. Get a boat, a four-wheeler, and a camp somewhere, and friend, you are living the dream. That is not the mission. God has a mission for everyone who calls themselves Christians. And we quoted that key scripture last week. And if you'll look on the screen, it's up again this week. From last week, the key scripture of the mission of God for us, Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation, or to all creation, or, or to the entire creation. Uh, you know, we said what the old preacher used to say all the time, two-thirds of God's name is go. And, and, and so God has an expectation that you and I would bring his truth to the world. When you and I live a missional life, then it doesn't matter what kind of jobs we, we work, or where we live, or where we go to school, or where we don't go to school. It's all directed by his mission. And so we don't have to worry in depression. Did I pick the right place? Did I do the right thing here? I'm living every day for the mission of God, and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the hurting and the lost and the broken. And so we compared that last week to the story of the Magi as they brought, uh, the, as they went searching for the king as they followed the star. And they ended up in Jerusalem. And then, of course, they found out that the king was born, or Jesus, the Messiah, was born in Bethlehem. So they weren't looking for him there. And so we'll connect those. But my two purposes, number one, was that you and I would start living missional. And number two, that each and every person in this church would consider going on a short-term missions trip with us this summer. My goal is that we have 100 people go on short-term missions trips. You say, well, why is that so important to you? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you can't be missional until you get a mission. 
And most of the time, I have found that people never get out of their American comfort zone and, and see the mission of God until they get out of their American comfort zone and see the mission of God. And I gave my testimony at 14 years old, went to Haiti for the first time, and it rocked my world, and it's the reason I'm your pastor today. Instead of some business person, you know, just living for myself and trying to be rich and then going to church and giving a tip at the pastor preached well. And I gave my life to the mission of God, and that's why I'm your pastor today. And I want to raise up a church. I want to be a part of a body of believers. I want to be in a spiritual family that lives the mission of God, that you and I heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, that we live in the dreams that God has for our life, and that our grandkids on our deathbed says, my grandfather was a man of God. Let me tell you what he did. And tell the stories of great supernatural things that we experience. And I taught you last week that if good is the enemy of great, then comfort is the enemy of the supernatural. And so to experience the supernatural, we've got to get out of our comfort zone. That's been my learning lesson over the years. And I don't know if that's a, a, you know, a definite doctrinal statement that cannot be challenged. Just the opposite. I just know that that's my experience and I want you to have that experience as well. And so as we go back into the mission that God has for you and I, today we'll be talking about the gift that you are to the lost and the dying. We'll be talking about the gifts that the Magi brought. But I thought we'd start with a story about Bobby. It was up, it, it was coming up Christmas, and Bobby was sitting around the table with his mom, and he said, Mom, I want a new bike for Christmas. That's what I want. I want a new bike. And she said, Well, you ought to write a letter to Santa Claus asking him for a new bike. And since Bobby had just been in his uh, his school's nativity play, he goes, no, I don't really believe in Santa Claus, but baby Jesus, that's who I'll ask for a new bike. Baby Jesus will get me a new bike. So he went to his room, and he began to write his little letter to baby Jesus. He said, dear Jesus, I have been a very good boy and would like to have a new bike for Christmas. As he finished writing, he thought about it for a second and said, ooh, that's not true. Jesus will know. So he tears up the paper, and he throws it in the garbage, and he starts writing a second letter. And he says, dear Jesus... Um, most of the time, I'm pretty good, and, uh, and, and I really want a new bike for Christmas. Thought about that for a moment, and says, yeah, that's not true either. I'm not good most of the time. So he tore that one up and threw it in the garbage, and he said, dear Jesus, a third time, he said, dear Jesus, I could be a good boy if I tried harder, and especially if I had a new bike. He thought about that for a little bit and said, yeah, I'm not going to be able to manipulate Jesus either because I don't plan on ever being a good boy. And so he went out to play outside because he was so frustrated. And as he was coming home from playing outside, he noticed that Miss Rosie next door had a little Virgin Mary statue in her garden. He looked each way and no one saw him. He walked over to the garden. He grabbed that little concrete Mother Mary and put it in his, put it in his coat. And he came back home. He threw it under his bed, put pillows on top of it, put blankets all on top of it. And he started writing his letter. And then he continued, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mama again, you better send me a new bike. Somebody said, that's sacrilegious. Probably so. But we're talking, we're talking today about the gift. Everybody say the gift. Come on, somebody. The gift within the mission. And we do have a key scripture for this, ver uh, for this uh, teaching today. It's Proverbs 18 and 16. If you're new to our church, I teach our congregation that every week I'll give you a key scripture, and it kind of has a point to play in our message. And if you'll learn 
the best you can, memorize or at least write down the key scripture in a place that you can go back and refer to, then you'll do that every Sunday. Then you'll have 52 scriptures that you have learned, kind of memorized or at least have access to. And I promise you, by knowing 52 scriptures, you'll know more Bible than 90% of American Christians. Come on, somebody. And so today, we're taking it out of Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 16. Proverbs 18, 16, it says, a gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. Isn't that amazing? I love the book of Proverbs. For those of you that are business folks, those of you that are in leadership positions, the book of Proverbs is a great book to start reading and memorizing pieces of passage of, of those scriptures. They come in bite-sized nuggets of truth and pieces of wisdom. And it's guided me all the years of my life as a Christian and especially in leadership and so forth. And I love this particular wi- uh, leadership wisdom piece that a gift, that you'll bring a gift and it literally will make way for the giver uh, it'll make way for you, and it literally will put you in the presence of the great. Isn't that powerful? That you and I can take the gifts that God's given you. You say, well, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have this. Can I tell you something? If you will just use the gifts that God's given you, it will put you in places with the great. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you there? Say yes. I illustrated this in first service. Um, uh, there's a, a song that was a very famous worship song called the Revelation Song. Anybody heard it back, uh, you know, the last few years? And that Revelation Song, I was interacting with the, with the group that actually, uh, you know, uh, 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 put that, that song out. Carrie Job sang it and, and promoted it. And, um, and so they said that that song would clear close to 6 to $8 million by the time it had finished its run. And, um, and it, it, to the, the, the history on the story of that song was uh, the gal who wrote it had been a, back in the day, she was a, a, a CFNI student, she was at Bible school, and, and she graduated Bible school planning to be the next great worship leader. She ended up marrying, and they ended up having kids right away, and that kind of threw off her worship leading plan. They had to get jobs and so forth and so on. Her husband got to the place where he could finance them not needing two incomes, and so she became uh, an even heavier job, a stay-at-home mom with the kids that she had. And one day, as she's taking the clothes from the washing machine to the dryer, she heard in her heart those words, and she began to write that song called the Revelation Song. As she put those clothes into the dryer, and she went in the other room, and she wrote down the lyrics real quick, and she went forward and presented that to a group of people that could actually promote that song and, and put the word, uh, put the music to that song. Carrie Joe picked it up, started singing it, and became this overnight supernatural expression for the body of Christ to the Father. She didn't go get to lead worship, but let me tell you something, her gift put her with great people. The fact that she wrote that song put her in places where she was able to teach and minister people, and she thought, oh, my life is over as a housewife, but she continued to use her gift and present it to others, and as a result of that, it put her in front of great people. We're talking about gifts today, and we want to go right back to that passage of Scripture that we left out on last week in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 this time. If you weren't with us last week, let me just get you up to speed. We taught you last week that there were, you know, the three wise men, as tradition seems to promote it. There there were much more than three wise men. And they use that, and they've even come up with names for them. But none of that is accurate or even uh, identifiable as truth. It's just something that has happened over the years to give these three, quote, wise men names. But there there was probably a good bit more than three wise men. Could have been as many as 20. Could have been as few as three. But more than likely, they were traveling in a great caravan with large numbers of people with 
with servants because they were wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. What we would have considered scholars in our day, astronomers, scientists for our day. For their day, mixed with magic, mixed with occultic stuff, mixed with astronomy and astrology and all these things. They were pagans at best. Uh, they were, um, you know, they, as we talked about last week, they may have been passed down some of the truths while in Babylon that, that Daniel would have brought forth. And they were probably aware of the prophecy. Uh, obviously, they were aware of the prophecy that a great king would come up out of Jerusalem and that you would see his star, the book of Nahum. And they saw the star and they began traveling to follow it. And we believe they traveled and followed it months and months and months for over thousands of miles. Think about it. They're not using modern technology. They're not flying on airplanes. Uh, they're, not, they're not riding in cars or trains. They are walking with animals. They're riding on animals. And, uh, and they're a great caravan. So they go to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. Herod says, uh, no, uh, no king's going to be king because he's an Edomite, which is, uh, he's a half-Jew, if you will. And as a result, um, Herod starts plotting the death of this little king, if there be such a thing. And he pulls the priest together, where is the king to be born? Uh, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. They say, well, in Bethlehem. And so the Magi then are sent to Bethlehem. And let's pick up right there in verse 9. And it says, and after they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star, excuse me, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Everybody say overjoyed. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Would everyone say that with me? Opened their treasures. One, one, two, three. Opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense or incense as it says here, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So let me kind of put this in, 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 in perspective for you. They roll up. Now, we taught you last week that at the time that this is being written, at the time this is transpiring, excuse me, uh, Jerusalem, which would have been the capital city, was probably a robust almost 50,000 inhabitants. You know, 40, 45 range, something like that. And uh, now Bethlehem was five miles out, so it would be like being out in the country. If you had 5,000 people in Bethlehem, that would probably would have been a pretty good number. And we told you that they came into Jerusalem, these wealthy, wealthy, important uh, Eastern folks come rolling in. They look different, they smell different, they act different. Come on, somebody. And they are rich beyond your wildest dreams. Remember, and I illustrated to you, probably had a little bit of like that moment in Aladdin, Prince Ali, worthy of this. And they come rolling in. They get everyone's attention. Everybody's wigging out. Who are these people? And they, if you think that they set the city of Jerusalem on fire with gossip and what is this and what's happening and what's going on, can you imagine when they roll into Bethlehem? Can you imagine them with their servants having servants that have servants? Can you imagine they roll up, now put it in our vernacular, our time frame, they roll up with all of their black SUVs, followed by all of their buses, you know, all of their specialty buses fold out and have all the comforts and hot tubs and whatever else, and they have all of their treasures. These are wealthy. Imagine the wealthy people of the East showing up in a little bit of old Cedar Hill and rolling up in our parking lot saying, where is the king of the Jews? Imagine the fanfare, the media, all the pieces. And they have followed the star and it stops over this house. Now, 
these wealthy, wealthy, important people show up at Joseph and Mary's little rented probably home with their little newborn Jesus. He's not a newborn, excuse me, anymore. He's probably somewhere close to two years of age with their little child, their you know, infant, toddler, whatever you want to call it. And they roll up as the star shines over that home in such a way that they know this is the place. Can you imagine as the bus doors open, and they come walking out, however they come walking out, music and all the things playing, and they immediately see Jesus, it says, and they immediately begin to bow down and worship him. Unbelievable. Now listen, I know that the heavens split open when you were born. And I know that somewhere around a year and a half or two years old, your grandmama thought you were the gift to the earth. And your mama probably didn't think that you were the gift to the earth because she had to be with you every day. But I don't know anybody in this room or listening to me by way of podcast that would say the, the, the star rested over our house in Cedar Hill. The buses pulled in. I don't remember this happening. Y'all maybe can bring me back in time and remind me of it. But I don't think this is transpired. And then all of a sudden, wealthy, important people get off. And start worshiping you. This is for the King of glory. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has come to earth. And it says that they begin to open up their treasures. Open up their treasure. Now, if I were to ask you, what's your greatest monetary treasure? It'd probably be your savings account, maybe your portfolio for those of you. Uh, for some of you, it's the shoes you have on right now. But, but if I were to ask you, what is your greatest treasure? How, what does that look like? They didn't, bring them, they didn't bring Jesus a gift. They opened up their treasures. I want you to get a mental picture of this. I, I didn't have time to put it all together on stage, but I wanted to try to kind of give you a visual of what that would look like. When they opened up their treasure chest full of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Can you imagine that the, as they begin to open up, they have traveled for somewhere between a year and a half to two years. They finally gotten there. They went on a great quest. They brought all of their treasures with them, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, and they begin to give this to Jesus and to his family. Frank, can I explain something to you? Jesus and them didn't get a little bit of myrrh and a little bit of, and a little bit of frankincense and a couple of little gold coins. Friends... They won the lottery. It's like, wapow. Can you imagine all their neighbors? Like, oh, my God. Sophie, Jesus, my best friend. I mean, they went crazy as these guys have got. They've got they, they went from being po to having riches. And remember, I mind, reminded you last week, there's a difference between being poor and po and only people who po know. And so here they are all of a sudden. In one move, all of their ever financial needs are met in one giant move boom they were able then to flee to egypt as the angel warned them to get away from herod and were able to live there until herod had passed and was gone and they were able to come back many believe that that's how the seed money that jesus started his ministry with at 30 years old came from this riches we do know that jesus and joseph continue to work in carpentry now it wouldn't be carpentry like you and i would do with woodworking it was much more masonry working with rocks and those type of things that's what they would have called carpentry for the hour and the in the era excuse me and they continued to 
to work to show themselves to prove and bring in whatever income. Joseph probably died somewhere along the way, you know, at, before Jesus becomes at the age of 30. But this seed money that started Jesus' ministry, and Jesus got 12 men to take care of when he's walking on the planet in his ministry. He's got to finance what they eat. Come on, somebody. Where they stay, their clothes, all the issues. Where did this money come from? There was some support, but the seed money that probably started came from right here. That's the type of money, the type of wealth that was bestowed upon Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Are you there? Say yes. And so I want to break down these gifts because a lot of times we see the little manger scene and the, and the wise men are there with their gifts. Well, first off, they're not at the manger because this is months and months later, uh, upwards of almost 24 months later. So, so to have the shepherds and the, and, and the manger scene with the, with the wise men, it's not quite accurate, but it's fun. It's cool. And uh, at the difference, they come walking up to the house and they start unloading all of their treasures. And the word of God uses treasures. It doesn't use, they gave them a gift. And from the treasures, they begin to bestow upon him gifts. They begin to just pour it out on him and begin to pour it out upon his family. And so I want to look at the three uh, categories of these treasures that the Bible talks about. And I want to connect that to the missional life that we're going to live. I challenge you on two things in this message. Number one, that you and I would live missional. And that number two, that you and I would take a short-term mission trip this summer with Church on the Hill. That's my goal. I unashamedly crying out that each and every one of you will take a short-term mission trip. You say, I can't do it. I got this, that, and that. I'm crying out to God that God would do miracles and that you would come out of your comfort zone and go do a mission trip. Well, I'm too old. I've got a fake hip. You know, I, you know, my wife's pregnant for the 18th time. Whatever it may be, I'm praying to God that God would motivate you to overcome all the obstacles on a short-term mission trip. You say, Pastor, why are you unashamedly doing that? Because it was on a short-term mission trip. That God spoke to me in such a way that transformed my life and began the missional life that I'm living now and that I want you to live as well. And not only that, because people are dying and going to hell. And because, you know what? He said, go into all the world. You're doing great loving people in this community. You're doing great loving people in your neighborhood. And that's your job and at this church. But there's something in the go that brings forth the supernatural. And I want all of you to have a supernatural experience in your walk called Christianity and not just live from depressing moment to depressing moment. Oh, God, help me again. Oh, God, help me again. I want you to see, like I've seen, the blind eyes open. I want you to see the man out of the wheelchair in the place of, of expectation because you have gone and put yourself out there and come out of the comfort zone to go do what God would have you do. Isn't that good? Say yes. So with that being said, let's look at a couple of these gifts. Uh, we'll start, number one, with gold. And let me give you kind of the connotations of what gold meant as these men, not only spiritually what was transpiring here, supernaturally in the spirit realm, but also uh, practically uh, as they brought forth the gold. I'll give you a little bit of gold. It was a treasure befitting royalty. So you wouldn't give gold to your next door neighbor because they just moved in. You might give them an apple pie or something like that. Gold was specifically for royalty. It was a, it was a common gift from royalty to royalty from what was considered royalty. So that would be a common gift of gold. So it has a great connotation here. Jesus is not some little kid. He's not some little poor family. The king of glory is here. We're giving him gold. It's identifying the kingship that's on Jesus' life. Are you there? Say yes. Gold was valuable. It was beautiful. And it was long-lasting. Number three, under gold, gold was proof of real wealth. Remember back in the day, you could walk into a car dealership. And they try to sell you a car, and you say, uh-huh, that's good, that's good, that's good. I'm paying cash. What can you do for me? Remember, we used to say cash talks. 
Have you ever been in sales? Oh, man, cash talks, bro. You go on eBay, you try to buy something, yeah, yeah, back and forth. But if you get on Craigslist and you call them up, cash talks. When everybody else is trying to figure out how to write a check, cash That's how gold was. Gold surpassed every other form of bartering and things like that. You can understand in biblical times especially, look, I'll trade you two chickens for one mule. No, nah, okay, look, five chickens and my daughter for one donkey. Okay, wait a minute here. And that's what they would do. They would barter and trade. That's what the common folk did. Only the wealthiest of the wealthiest of the rich of the rich had gold. They even had their coins. They had their coins made out of other metals, you know, the Roman coins by which they would do business with. And this was a mina that was worth this or a talent that was worth this. But when you carry gold, it used to be like that in the United States, that that paper money had the same gold representation, right? We don't know what all that happened now. China owns all that. Anyway, point being is that gold was the most valued commodity for doing business and showing forth wealth. It was proof that you were wealthy. Gold also, in giving that to Jesus, represented, as we said before, his kingship, that he was king. This is what God was doing. God the Father was taking pagan magic you know, sorcery-type guys who are studying the stars and causing them to recognize that the king of earth has been born in Bethlehem. And I'm going to send you on a two-year journey to go find him and give him gold, solidifying the fact none of the other prophets had this experience. Muhammad can't say he had this experience. Nobody else can. The king of glory, men from the east, traveled for months till they got to the man-child and gave him gold solidifying his kingship. Are you there? Say yes. And so as we go forward, as we go forward into our missions this summer, as we go forward as a missional Christian, I want you to know you've got similar three, these three gifts as they're represented. I want to connect those to what you have inside of you to give to the world. You may not have gold, but let me tell you what gold really represents. Gold represents the salvations of men. When you talk about the most valuable monetary commodity to heaven, Jesus came to earth and did not die for buildings, for paper cash. He doesn't care about, he doesn't care about dying. Diamonds and gold, he cares about the souls of men. And when you and I are living our life missional on earth, the thing that gets God's attention, the thing that's of value to the heavenlies, is that you and I bring those who are lost and now become found, who have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they cannot hear unless someone preaches, and we are those preachers. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. So the missional gift that you have to the world, your gold gift, is that you can bring salvation to those who don't know about salvation, who don't know that the living God wants a relationship with them, that the Creator also redeemed them and wants a relationship with them. Not dead religion, not going to church and throwing a tip in the thing or doing 2,500 hell marriage, that the God of God, the King of kings, came to earth, took on the form of a man, the most precious blood of Jesus Christ spilled on that cross that you and I can have forgiveness of sin and that all men are created equal in his sight, and that one's not more valuable than the other, that we all have salvation extended to us. You and I are the carriers of this truth. This is the gift we can bring to the world. Are you with me? Say yes. Once on the Sunday before Christmas, Billy Graham was out walking in Highland Street in Mount Holly, North Carolina, on his way to pray for one of the parishioners. Wanting to quickly mail a letter, he asked a young boy standing there where he could find the post office. After the little boy had given him clear instructions, and how to get there, the Reverend Graham turned to him and said, thank you so much, son. And by the way, if you'll come to church this evening, you can hear me tell everyone how to get to heaven. The little boy with a frown on his face said, yeah, I don't think I'll do that. If you don't know where the post office is, how in the world are you going to lead me to heaven? Come on, somebody. Can I tell you something? 
You know how to get to Jesus because you found him. This is what the world needs. This is what they're lacking. They need a clean example of what it is to be a real Christian. Years ago, I took a trip to Trinidad, Tobago. And we were ministering and, and uh, never been in that country before. And uh, the, the local pastor there that we were working with had a small congregation. We were out street witnessing, winning a bunch of Rastafarians to Jesus. Yeah, man. Yeah, smoke a little weed. Tell me about Jesus, man. And we were, we were one of them laying hands on casting. It was awesome. It was a cool time. And the pastor said, hey, you know, there's a little, there's an island called St. Vincent. And, uh, and though, um, you know, again, the shorelines are all very beautiful and people use them as tourist attractions. But in the inner workings of most of these island countries, they're very impoverished. And he goes, and, and you know, I, I, we ought to go over there and minister for a day. And so we made plans and we went over there and ministered for a day. And, and, uh, and, 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 and we started walking down into the, into the barrio areas, if you will, and, and ministering. And it was more spread out than built on top of each other, but ever, very, very poor living and shanties and shacks and things like that. And, and so we were walking through this area that they called the, uh, the Pole City. And what had happened was the government had decided that they were going to build a, a electrical, uh, they were going to put electricity all over the place, but then they bought the poles or made the poles, but they hadn't put, had put them in the ground and hadn't put electricity on. So you get these, you know, these carousel poles laying everywhere, and they're giant and huge, and there's just mounds of them everywhere. And people had built, built their little shanties in all these areas like that. And so we're walking there, and I look up, and he's gone. I don't know where he's going. And there's a lot of wooded areas surrounding this, and they had already warned us, don't go in the wooded area, because that's where all the drug dealers and, and crack, I mean, you know, poppy seed growers and marijuana growers and if you go in there especially in a white as a white face you're going to just they're just going to shoot you thinking that you know you're you're DEA or something like that so we you're just trying to stay away from the wooded area and so I walk up to this one little shanty of a place and there's a young man standing there in his 30s or so and uh, and they speak English and so I started telling him about Jesus and I started ministering to him and as I started telling him listen Listen, I know I'm American, and to you, you think I'm wealthy, but listen, you and I are on the same level. And not only that, but the King of Glory came to earth. He died for my sin and your sin. And I began to tell him the story of the Savior. Big tears welled up in his eyes. And I told him, I said, listen, you, you, listen you're, you can have a mansion in heaven and be with the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lord. And, and the guilt of your sin can be washed clean. And you can know Jesus as your Lord and, say, and have the power of God flowing through your veins. The Creator wants to know you. And He sent His Son to bring you back to Him. And as, as he accepted the truth, he said, I want this Jesus. And I laid hands on him. We prayed the sinner's prayer. He came to Christ. I laid hands on him, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He began to move in power. It was awesome. As we're doing this, the other little neighbors are coming out of the woodwork. And before you know it, we've got 20 or 30 people. I'm preaching to them. They're all getting saved. We're laying hands on them. And what had been 10, 15 minutes had turned to three hours. And it's magic. It's unbelievable. I'm in the middle of no. I don't even know where I'm at. I can't. I don't. Even, I don't know if it's a neighborhood. I don't. I don't know what this is. I'm just there with these people, and I'm giving them the only gift that I really can give them, and that's the gift of salvation. I'm giving them gold, baby. I'm giving them. I'm giving them the most precious thing to heaven that I can give them. That's true salvation. And about that time, the pastor comes out of the. Wood, I don't know if he was part of the drug cartel. I don't know. Anyway, he comes up out of the woodwork and says, "Pastor, we have to go. We have to go. We're going to miss our our connection. You know, our. I don't know." If we flew in or took a boat, I don't remember. He goes, we got to go. We're on time. And I'm looking at these precious people. And they just got saved. And they're like little birds. Like, me, 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 me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I looked at the young man that I prayed with first. And, I, and, and his name was James. I remember that because it was a biblical name. So, and I was like, James, buddy, guess what? He said, what? I said, you're the pastor. And I laid hands on him in Jesus' name. I said, you're going to be the pastor of all these people. He's like, oh, my God. I'm like, here's a Bible. Just read this and tell them what you find. And they're all like, yeah. 
away. And we're walking off. And they're like, we love you. Thank you so much. And I'm walking off. And something happened inside of me. Nothing else matters. I don't care where I live. I don't care about the cars that I drive. I got to experience the gold of heaven being given to the hurting and the broken. And I know that one day I'll be standing there at the pearly gates. And you cannot, you cannot come into the presence of a king without bringing gifts. This is known all over the ancient world. You cannot come into the presence. I will come into the throne of God after having lived this life. And I'll stand there and I'll say, God, Father, guess what I brought you? And James will come walking up. And it may be thousands and thousands of people because this has been 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know who all has been and experienced Christ because of his influence. And I'll stand there and say, I brought you my very best. And God will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful Servant friend, can I tell you something? You and I, we can't bring degrees to heaven. You know, the old preacher said, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul hooked to the back of it. You can't bring your furniture. You can't bring your cars. You can't, what you can bring with you to the heavens is the lost souls of the earth, which is what God the Father sent his son to reclaim. And we are his witnesses on this planet of his goodness. Friend, can I tell you something? We must be missional. We must be missional. We must bring the gift that we have, the gift of salvation, to those who've never had that gift, who had no clue about it. The second gift that the Magi brought, it was a gift of myrrh. It was a gift of myrrh. Now, put it on the screen. Myrrh, uh, excuse me, frankincense. Sorry, I almost skipped it. You can go back. Frankincense. And that was an odorous resin that was imported from Arabia. And it was one of the ingredients in the perfume of the sanctuary. So in the temple, as they would, as they would burn their incense... And that frankincense, as it, would, as it would burn, point number three right here on your screen, when it, when it was burnt, it emitted a fragrant odor, and hence the incense became a symbol of the divine name. Uh, let me illustrate what that means. Uh, so when they would burn that frankincense, and it was such a precious commodity to have it imported, that they particularly only did that. They didn't do it at home, you know, when, when they had their special date night going. This was like in the temple of God. This was like when you smelled the smell, you knew that God was in the room. It was a symbol or an emblem of the God's divine nature. And kind of like, you know how like when you're driving down past uh, a Krippy Kreme and you smell them donuts? You just, Krispy Kreme, sorry. You just like, you can't, or, or for me, if I'm going by Popeye's chicken, and I can smell, you know they do it just on purpose too. They get that fan up there and blow that smoke snack with all that fatty stuff they're cooking up in that deep fry. And being from Louisiana, I'm thinking, hey. And I, I start feeling my Cajun roots, and that's about the closest I can get. And I want some chicken. Man, I get all into it and get all excited. Why? Because with that smell, come on with me, with that smell, there's a connotation. There's a point of reference. That's what frankincense was. It was, when you smelled that, the divine was in the house. The divine, and because the divine was in the house, it was a symbol of prayer. That you would fall to your face and begin to pray. When you smelt the frankincense. It was that, it was that luxurious, it was that important, and it was that expensive. And it was probably for trading one of the greatest gifts they could have ever given them. Also, it represented, for Jesus them giving him that gift. The gold represented that he was king. This represented that he was priest. That he, that he carried the love for the people. The priest up until Jesus, the priests were the ones who stood between the people and God. God told them what to tell the people. So the people had no relationship with God. They had an advocate between them and God the Father. 
and that was the priest. And the priests lived holy and were perfect. And some people still treat their pastors like that, that there's some perfect representation of who God is. Look, we're just dudes and dudettes who are doing our best to serve God. We have a high priest now. His name is Jesus. And we don't need another priest anymore, according to Scripture. All that's been removed. There is no one standing between you and your God anymore. Jesus is your advocate. We can go to him, pray in his name, and things happen. Doors open. Demonic powers are destroyed in the name of Jesus. Are you there? Say yes. And so when that frankincense was given, it literally was to Jesus, this little boy, it was a sign that he is the advocate between us and God. He is the priest. He is the go-between. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you there? Say yes. And so when you say, well, when I bring my gift, and we're connecting these to our gifts that we can bring to the world, you may not be the smartest person on the planet or the most gifted musician or the best preacher or anything like that, but let me tell you what this gift was. This gift represented praying with people, literally, that you could pray with people. Guys, I want you to know something. I have been through some of the most difficult moments of life and had the sweetest people pray me through. To be able to tell somebody, man, I just, man, that is the, it, was, it was bad this week, and I just don't know if I want to continue and have them pray with me. This is what the priest would do. He was a go-between. He would carry their burdens with them. He'd come alongside of them. You say, well, I don't really know how to do this and I can't do that. Friend, you can go on a short-term mission trip and you can pray for people. You can help carry their burdens. You say, I don't know how to pray. Yeah, you do. Same way you pray every day. Oh, God, help. That's about all they need. It's amazing. It's powerful. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you there? Say yes. I have a friend, his name is Rudy Gracia. He has one of the largest churches in the United States of America, right outside of Miami, in a little area called Hollywood. It's a suburb of Miami. Rudy Gracia in 2010 Ministries Today put him as the fastest growing church in the United States. He's, it's bilingual, Spanish and English. He's an amazing man of God. Heals sick, raised the dead, phenomenal man of God. His little wife passed away of cancer a couple years ago, and he's a, he's a close friend. Well, Rudy's story is something pretty cool. Uh, a number of years back, probably, oh, I don't know, almost 20, 25 years ago now, Rudy is from Dominican Republic and, and, and uh, a decent-to-do family, big Catholic family. Rudy began reading the Bible and found out that he didn't need a high priest anymore, that he had Jesus. And he made, him, he made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and began to look to express that love Jesus, different than the Catholic Church, the city he was in, required. That put his family up in arms, and Catholic Church excommunicated him, and his family uh, put him at arm's length and stopped financing him as a young man, 19 years old or so. About that time, in his newfound salvation, Christ for the Nations, a group of college kids, decided to do a mission trip to Dominican Republic. And as they got there and they were street witnessing, they met Rudy. And Rudy began to help translate him. He had been educated well, so he could translate him. You know, from Spanish to English form or English to Spanish and back and forth. And they spent a week with Rudy. And they, they, he stayed with them at the, at the hotel because he was basically kicked out and had no place. It was perfect timing. Well, they did that little trip for seven days, 12 days, whatever it was, tw- uh, ten, seven, ten days. Came back and a group of those college students went back home where they were from in Colorado. And they're sitting in Denver at a coffee shop. And they began talking about Rudy Gracia, this young man, and how powerful he was and how God did such a move in his life and supernatural, how amazing it was, and how they wished he could go to Bible school. It's just unfair that there's no money for him to go to Bible school. And, and they begin to pray. They begin to pray, oh God, do a miracle for, for him. When they finished praying, unbeknownst to them, 
a man sitting next to him was listening to their entire conversation. He tapped him on the shoulder. He said, guys, I was listening to what you were praying and what you were talking about. I'm a wealthy businessman. I don't know this young man you're talking about, but I will finance him to go to Bible school. Get me his information. Rudy Gracia came to Christ for the Nations on a scholarship that some wealthy businessman from, from Denver, Colorado paid for. When he graduated Bible school, he ended, by that time he found his wife. They went and they, and they planted a church in Miami, right outside of Miami, like we told you. And the rest is history. Can I tell you something? You don't know what praying for someone somewhere else. The power that you'll have, the ripple effect to transform lives. Tens of thousands have been saved under Rudy's ministry. Because somebody went on a short-term mission trip and was praying for him. And God made miracles happen for those people. Isn't that something? Say yes. You don't know what kind of frankincense you're offering up when you pray. And you go out there and you love on the hurting. you got to get out of the country. Oh, can't I just pray for them right here from Cedar Hill? No, you got to get up in the midst of the pain. you got to get up in the midst of the difficulty for it to really have significance. Are you there? Say yes. And the third gift that they offered up to Jesus was myrrh. Everybody say myrrh. Now myrrh, I know right, sound like a country name, myrrh. I named my son myrrh. An it was an ingredient of the holy anointing oil that they used there in the temple in Bible times. You'll see a reference in Exodus chapter 30 on the screens. It was typical of the Messiah's graces. And what I mean by that is, is that it was used um, to bring healing of wounds and things like that. You'll see that as well. But it was, it was also a, a, a sign of what the Messiah would do. That he would have grace and minister kindness and gentleness to a broken and hurting world. Not come, not come to destroy the world. Not come to, uh, you know, revolutionize it from the point of you've all been wrong. But to come and bring healing of the heart, transformation of the soul. And to bring a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, by which we have a dominion and authority for every demonic force and every power of wickedness. Not to set up an earthly dominion kingdom where we tell the governments where to go and how to go. He'll do that in his thousand year reign. But the kingdom he was setting up was dominion over the wickedness of the enemy. Are you there? Say yes. And so as a result, it was used a lot in burial preparation. And as I already mentioned, it was used for healing of wounds and digestive problems. In fact, in 2011... Uh, one of these groups did a study on myrrh and found that it was able to re reduce uh, cancer cells in humans. Research found that myrrh inhibited growth in eight different types of cancer cells. How cool is that? That it literally brings healing, if you will. And so when I think about this on the mission that you and I will go on this year, in Jesus' name, that we, you may not, have, like I said, you may not be the greatest preacher and you may not have uh, enough money to even hardly pay for the trip, but when you get out there loving on people, you bring healing. You bring your gift of myrrh. And you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You cast out devils and they'll let them go. And healing of the mind, healing of the broken heart. These are the gifts, just like the magi and the representation that they had. These are the gifts that we bring forth to a lost and dying world. You say, I don't know a lot. I don't have a lot. Let me tell you something. You have a little bit of myrrh in your spiritual, in your spiritual account. Just start pouring it out on the hurting people of the world. And God will do supernatural things. I thought it would be interesting if I could show you a quick video clip of the Villalobos family. Mama and daughters couldn't be in this video, so it's just the husband and the, uh, Daniel and his boys. But they went on our trip last year to the Native Americans 
um, and, and, and literally God transformed their life. You'll hear them talk about not having the money, but God supernatural providing for it, and then the ministry that they did as a family. And we believe that how powerful it is to take our kids with us to do ministry like this. Not all the trips will afford that, but this one specifically does. And I want you to see Daniel's testimony as we play that now for you right there. Hello, my name is Daniel Villalobos. This is Christopher Villalobos and David Villalobos. Uh, with the Yolo family, we like to encourage you guys to go on a college mission trip this summer. We want to tell you guys about the amazing time we had on the mission trip to the Navajo Nation. We had an amazing time with our family. We were able to share the word of God with people, share our gifts, our talents. I was able to play a little bit of keyboard. Christopher was able to uh, play the guitar. David was able to minister and play with the kids there that, that don't usually have a friendship or, or um, a connection with other kids. Um, opportunity that we had out there was was the best experience I've had in a long time. Um, I can remember the third night we were there, uh, we were able to uh, spend time with people who had already been at VBS or, or um, shared a meal with us. So our, our third day there was, uh, it was very hot. We were already tired from uh, painting the house. We had gone out there to, uh, of course, start the VBS, do the VBS out there, but um, we actually ended up painting a house. We were able to um, um, go with other people that were that were from around the, the area, miles away, coming to spend time with us. Still, the Holy Spirit came and He set upon us. David, David, um, David, and, and uh, Joel or Jude and Joel um, were able to go out there and pray with the people, adults who who were seeking God, who were uh, looking for healing, who were looking for a change in their life. Well, it showed me uh, you don't have to be an adult to heal somebody. Um, you can be a child and still um, God can go through you and heal somebody. And then in the end, it, and during the day, it was it was it brought people closer together and it brought us closer together as a family. Um, like even when I was playing, I, I could just close my eyes and I would I would just feel the presence of God through through the whole worship team. Um, I even saw all the kids going out there and praying for the adults and stuff. And everyone was just standing by the end of it. They 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 were all happy. Um, there was no one that was really like depressed or anything because they all went home knowing that that they had actually been with the living God. The best thing about them using the gift out there was um, being without conviction, having no conviction, uh, being willing to to uh, play, being willing to just put transition into what we were going to. It, it stirred in my heart, you know, if if kids can do it, if a if a 13 year old and a 14 year old can do it, how much more can we do as as men with with uh, uh, wisdom and um, opportunity you know, to to reach out to people? It's a great experience, uh, loving on people. Um, it, it did change their lives. I know it did change their lives. They were able to come down, and uh, we we did talk about uh, the experience when we came back. And um, I think uh, going forward, well, we're really encouraged to go on another mission trip. I think one of the miracles um, in this uh, experience was, um, at the time, I was unemployed. Uh, I had been unemployed for about five months. We didn't know how we were going to come up with the money to to pay for the uh, missions trip. Um, the Lord provided in a big way. Uh, we were not only able to uh, go on the mission trip, but with everything paid, um, people people just I mean the money just came in. I mean it was like it was like. In a two-week period, all of the money was there so that we could all go on the mission trip. Um, he not only provided the, the funds to go down there, uh, we were all well. 
we were able to come back oh well we, we didn't have to worry about the, the dangers going down there um, and when I got back the Lord provided me a job so I think if you are willing to go if you um, if you have a heart for people if uh, if you want the Lord to use you uh, to reach people all you got to do is just go just do it I mean um, he's gonna provide a way he's gonna provide the means um, if you're willing he's gonna use you uh, no matter who you are young or old. Come on, give it up for the Villalobos. How powerful is that? Right there in our own congregation. You know, when people are crying out, lost people are crying out around the world, if there's really a God, God sends them a gift. You. There's an old proverb that says, the only gift worth giving is yourself. I think the Apostle Paul said a little bit better in Romans 12.1. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You and I would give ourselves completely to the mission that God has to help the lost and the dying around the world. I unashamedly call you to consider going on mission trips with us this summer. I want to put up our mission trips that we'll be heading out, and I'll run through them real quick. You'll give me another few seconds. We'll ask the question, what is the gift you're bringing? The first place that we're going to be taking a trip to is uh, to the Holy Land, and uh, that's June 18th through 27th. I know $3,000 sounds like a lot for some of you. We're actually going to be working with folks, building bridges to the Jewish people and Christians, doing ministry, so we're not just going to be touring, but we will have some of that. I think that fits for some of you who've been dreaming about going and seeing where Jesus walked and what he did, and actually that's a really good price uh, because you're going to be staying in tents on the side of the road. I'm just kidding. And <laughs> the next trip that we'll be taking, uh, put that one up, is uh, we'll be going to Nevada. Uh, where we talked about right outside of Las Vegas. You see that it's only $750. Uh, for those of you that watch the commercials about what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas, yeah, the reason why it has to stay in Vegas is because there's so many broken, destroyed lives as they party and do drugs and live their life the way they do. And as you see outside of those cities and the communities surrounding them, the poverty, the brokenness, the substance abuse is none, the prostitution, the sexual molestation, and these kids are broken and hurting, the families are destroyed, and so we go in and we minister for a week, we do kids ministry, we do BBS, we do worship and things like that, you could change someone's life and change the ripple effect for years and years to come, all by bringing your myrrh, bringing your frankincense, and bringing your gold. How about this next trip? We'll be also taking a trip to the Navajo Nation. Daniel, the Villalobos, were talking about when they went last year. Uh, there are a lot of crimes that the United States committed over the years. Obviously, uh, the way we treated African Americans and the horrificness that that transpired early on in our nation. But as well, what we did to the Native Americans is about as embarrassing as anything that we could look at in our history. The way we destroyed their fam the, the way of life, the way we destroyed them as a community. And so they have been put on these reservations, and they have grown up, most of them bitter, full of hatred, depression, lots of substance abuse, a lot of sexual uh, misconduct and confusion and frustration. And they told a story to me last year after they were there that one older gentleman walked all day long from early that morning to the evening just to make it to our service across the desert. We'd sit there with just tears in his eyes as we shared the gospel and ministered. And that literally by the end of the time ministering, one of the big drug dealers came, teenage guys with all his little buddies in the car, and a couple of them wouldn't even get out of the car under the conviction of God. Let me tell you something. You have no idea what your little time of praying for, bringing your frankincense, bringing your gold, bringing your myrrh, the lives that will transform. Consider that trip. It's great for kids because we minister to kids as well on that one. Bring your kids with you. How about this next trip? And that is we'll be heading to Mexico. This is the trip that our family took a couple years 
years ago that just rocked us and transformed us. I believe it's the reason that my kids have such a passion for Jesus. The way they love him, the way they do is because they saw a need like they never had. Ministering in those orphanages just across the line, just across the border, just, just minutes across the border from the United States. And uh, they're in Negris Pedris. I don't ever say it right. Yeah, Negris Pedris, yeah. It means Blackfoot or something. I don't know. Anyway, and so and it's seventy uh, seven hundred fifty bucks as well. Powerful, changing lives. How about this next one? So the next one is kind of a um, a cool trip that's happening uh, a little quicker. It's here at the spring break, and uh, it's in Colombia. You know, Colombia where we'll be in uh, Medellin. I'm there twice a year. It seems like these days, and I've been there going there for many years. Supernatural, what God has done. You, you ever heard of the Medellin cartel, drug cartel of the eighties, the cocaine? Uh, capital producing uh, of course you know that that group was disbanded not just because of our governments fighting it out with them but because of the Christians that went in there and started taking the city back for Jesus there's much revival much harvest happening still lots of poverty and difficulty beautiful part of the world you need to go and uh, and minister there it's powerful a little bit more expensive but it may fit where you can raise it all right and then the next place that we'll be heading this summer is Cuba Cuba and uh, that's a radical trip we've reserved that for our young adults mainly and uh, because they're not married yet, so if they die, no big deal. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all are like, what did he just say? <laughs> it's what my wife was warning about earlier. Uh, no, seriously, but we, we, uh, we, we're able to move quick. Uh, it is still in the state, kind of like a China, uh, that Christianity is permitted as long as it's not, um, it's not large gatherings and people interacting uh, publicly uh, to get the attention of the police, or which case there will be ramifications. Great, amazing how God has opened the door. Mr. Obama's helped with that. Supernatural. And so while the door is still open, uh, <clears throat> before Trump shuts it down, uh, we want to get in there and win a lot of souls to Jesus. Isn't that good? Say yes. And how about that? I think there's, is there one more that I'm going to put up there? I don't remember. Oh, and then here's what you can do. Uh, you can go to coughmissions.us, www.coughmissions.us. There's an online application as well as when you go to leave today, our missions director, is sitting out in the hallway waiting for you. She's been praying and crying out. We believe in God for 100 of you to go on short-term mission trips with you. You say, why are you believing for 100 of us to do that? Because 100 people living for the mission of God in their everyday life after having experience in giving frankincense, gold, and myrrh to the hurting people of the world. Those 100 people will change the city, their surrounding cities, and the nations of the world. And I believe that our church will be a church that sends every person. Our goal is that every person over the next five years in our church goes on a short-term missions trip, transforming their life so that they can transform others. Because once you get out of your comfort zone, it's where the supernatural happens. And we want that for your lives. And so she'll be waiting for you. There's also a banner. You may have saw it when you came in today. As you go to exit in the little uh, glass area between the two sets of doors, there's a banner over here to the right, a white banner, and where we're going to write our names. My mission 2017, Adam McCain going to this country, or, you know, John so-and-so going to this country. And you're going to write your name saying, I am on a mission for 2017. And I love this. Don't wait to give God your best gift. Isn't that good? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. yes. Amen. Would you stand with me all across the room? As you stand, I want you to pay attention to the screen for just a moment. Mother Teresa said it best about giving your gift, about being a gift giver. Would you put that slide back up, sweetheart? She said, it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. I know it's a lot. It's a big effort to go on a short-term mission trip, where you're at financially, where your family's at, where you're at with your job. I know. I know it is. But just like Daniel testified, he'd gotten laid off from his job. 
when he had signed up for the mission trip in his family, he had a good job. He got laid off. He had no money to put down on it. He had put his deposit and was scared, you know, I've lost my deposit now. And I remember Daniel telling us, hey, guys, we're not going to be able to go. We gathered around him and prayed, spoke faith over his life. God's supernatural helped him raise the funds. People gave, just like they'll give to you, just like we'll give to you. They gave. He was able to take his entire family on this trip. And just the week or so before he was leaving on the trip, ended up with this interview at a company much better than what he had left or what he had gotten laid off from. The moment he came back from his mission trips, he started at his new job. I don't think that that's coincidence. Or as my grandma used to say, quinky-dink. I think it's the miracles of God when we completely give ourselves to the missions of God. He will cause us to live in the supernatural when our mission and His mission coincide. You'll have reason for living. You'll have a passion in your heart because life will be more than just getting the paycheck, paying the bills, trying to finish school making sure you have enough food it'll become so much bigger and you'll bring your gold, frankincense and myrrh to the lost souls of the world as he brought his great gift to us we now can bring that gift to others, I want you to bow your heads with me across the room today I want you to ask the Lord Lord I'm open, where would you have me go, what would you have me do would you at least pray that prayer Would you at least say, God, I'm willing. You say, well, Pastor, I'm older, or Pastor, I'm in college, or Pastor, I'm here, or I'm there. I get that. I know. I understand. But as your pastor, I'm trying to give you a vision beyond where you're at. I'm trying to give you an opportunity to move beyond the same circle that you've lived 12 months out of the year for the last three, four, five years. Trying to help you have an experience that'll transform you, that'll mark you you'll tell your grandkids about your great grandkids about I want you to stand there in heaven say daddy here comes James that guy I prayed with that time way back when in that little place that the food was gross and I was real uncomfortable and I didn't, I didn't know everybody on the trip and, but I went and did it here's what I bring you this day Lord the greatest gift the souls of men that you've used me to influence I want you to pray right now. What trip marks your heart? You say, Pastor, I don't see a trip up there that I think the Lord would have me go. Well, go mention that to your small group leader. Maybe your entire small group can go somewhere else. And go mention that to our missions director. Maybe we can get you somewhere else. Maybe we can just do a three-day trip for you down in a difficult area south of here. Maybe in Houston or Austin or somewhere like that. But don't quit just because it, it seems tough. Don't give up on the opportunity to be missional just because you never have. So you've got your head bowed and your eye closed and you're praying about that. I want to give a call to anyone in this room say, Pastor, let me be honest with you. I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Friend, I know exactly where you're at. I've been there. In fact, I was there multiple times as I walked away from the Lord, went back into sin. I know what it is to be embarrassed of my sin. I know what it is to be ashamed of our relationship and how I destroyed it. I know what it is to feel the guilt and not even want to go to church. I know all those pieces, friend, I want you to know. But I also have experienced the grace of the living God, the mercy that He wants to pour out on you today. If you're away from the Lord, 
Maybe you've never been a Christian. Or you used to be and you walked away from him. I've got good news for you. He wants you back. He desires you. You know, Jesus could have died in any capacity, in any moment in the history of humanity. But he died the crucifixion. Where they stretched out his arms as they nailed it to that plank. Rose him up above the earth. Naked as he hung there, bleeding, dying. So that you and I could have salvation. He could, have, he could have been shot. He could have been stabbed. But he died with his arms stretched out forever, eternalizing his concept from, me to, from him to you. And that is, you're always welcome. I'm always calling you home. My arms are always open to you. Friends, stop making your sin bigger than your God. This is that moment to humble yourself and say, I need Jesus in my life. To repent of your sins. You say, well, Pastor, what do I do? Listen, Jesus did it all. He paid for every bit of wickedness in our lives. So, well, then what do I do? The Bible says it like this. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ. Jesus took it a step further and said, you're my disciple if you obey my teachings. So there's a growing in the teachings. But the starting point today is to declare that Jesus is your Lord. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance today, right where you stand. If you're away from God, but you need to acknowledge here and now that you're away from God, that you need Jesus in your life. This is the starting point. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I want to be. Or, Pastor, I'm away from God. I want to come home. If that's you, would you quickly lift your hands across the room and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want to be right with the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Give you a few seconds. Pray for me. I don't want to live like this any longer. I want to be right with the Lord. If I was at a party and I was with my best friend and I saw you over in a corner, and I grabbed you and I brought you over and I connected you to my best friend and then you guys could become best friends that's what we're doing in this moment I want to connect you to Jesus we're going to pray a prayer of repentance is there anyone else pastor pray for me it's time for me to be right with the Lord would you quickly lift your hand and put it back down make sure I say God bless you sister anybody else so appreciative of your realness your authenticity amen all your hands are down I'm going to lead you in that prayer connecting you to Jesus I want you to pray it out loud I want you to mean it with all of your heart. And I'd ask everyone in the congregation to pray it alongside of you. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my wants, my desires. I give it all to you. I ask you now to forgive me of my sin. Wash away the shame and the guilt. Heal me of all the junk. Here and now, I declare... Jesus is my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer. Minute with all of their heart. Wants a divine connection with you. I pray right now, supernaturally, now, they would feel the love connection between you and them. That they would know that they know that they know. That though they may have been a sinner, though they may have been away from you, that you've brought them back into your loving arms. And that though they may stumble and fall and lie or cheat, whatever, that they all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you're going to teach them and empower them to live uprightly with, with you, Jesus. I pray right now, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray for our church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about this meeting. Lord, I pray for every individual. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of mission. Lord, I took some of the most critical moments 
critical services. New people are coming and they may be confused about what we're talking about. But Lord, it was that important to you and it's that important to me then that men and women in Church on the Hill would be on a mission. That Lord, that short-term missions would kind of jumpstart that for us. Lord God, it doesn't make us more holy or better Christians, but it definitely causes us to walk in the supernatural as we come out of that which is comfortable. Lord, I pray right now for miracle testimonies of provision, of supernatural experiences, of people who were opposed, who said, okay, I'll give you my heart for a moment. We'll go try it. Families that are brought back together like never before on a short-term trip. Supernatural blind eyes opening as they pray for people. Miracles that they never thought possible at the tips of their fingers because they said yes and because they obeyed you. That passage in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news. We give ourselves completely to you, Daddy. We thank you for this beautiful congregation and their hearts to serve you. In Jesus' name.